0: All these were honored in their generations and were the glory of their times. There are some of them who have left a name so that their praises are declared, and there are some who have no memorial, who have perished as though they had not lived. Sirach, uh, chapter 44, verses 7 through 9. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to turn the air conditioning on because it's a little toasty in here. Um, I don't know if you conceive of your Christian life like this, but have you ever desired to become a saint? I don't mean in the way that we are already all saints, right? We've all been uh, accepted in Christ Jesus and forgiven and called his holy ones. The scripture calls each Christian his holy one. So in some measure, we're, we're all saints, right? But I mean in like the capital S, like Saint Fran, all those saints we just named in the procession. Have you ever thought to yourself, in the same way you might have like a career aspiration, like, I, I hope I make regional manager someday. I hope I do this. I hope I become a saint. Have you ever thought that? Uh, we're a small gathering. I, it's not a rhetorical question. No. Have you ever thought that? No? Um, it is admittedly not a very common way of thinking, but I really want to recommend it to you. <laughs> I think, you know, we hear that gospel several times in the course of the lectionary of um, James and John coming up to Jesus and saying, Oh, Jesus, can we have the best seats in the kingdom of heaven? Can we be just like the best number two guys in heaven? Um, And Jesus chastens, chastens them because their heart was wrong, right? They were thinking of greatness as greatness. And Jesus, of course, flips it and says, no, 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 greatness is found only in service and becoming the least of these and serving the least of these, right? But I think we go too far. And we actually miss the fact it was good that they were zealous for spiritual accomplishment Right. The fact that they wanted to be number two and number three in heaven, that was actually good, and, and I wish that there was more of it. Um, and the saints of the past all reveal a hunger to, 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 to bring great pleasure to the Father with their lives. And they really wanted to be saints, and they really strove hard after it, in the same way that um, we would readily make great sacrifices for uh, a career trajectory we were on or some business thing or something we were training for athletically or whatnot. Um, we devote a lot of you know, because if we have in view what we want, we're willing to make the the labor and the effort. Um, and I think one of the things that why we have a, it seems to be less sort of capital S Saints today, is I think we've all even lost sight of the prize a little bit. Um, We've lost the longing to really become a saint, which given that who we are molded into being in Christ Jesus is the only thing that is truly eternal about us, right? Our earthly careers, our even our, some of the sort of ways of our, our personality and temperament, and so much of what comes in this life is fashioned and formed by the things that are temporary. The thing that's most eternal, the most substantial about us is What kind of follower of the Lord are we? Are we becoming a saint, perhaps? Uh, And I think if we bring that more clearly into view, uh, that's the first step in in orienting ourselves rightly to live into the Christian life with the the vigor and the earnestness which some of our forefathers, many of whom we named in the litany, um, inhabited. But what I really want to focus on tonight together is... um, I think sometimes we, we, we mistakenly think of the category of saints as just the famous saints. And the famous saints, actually, is only a small portion of God's heroes, the ones who really lived radically for Jesus and had their lives powerfully transformed, and the operations of the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ Jesus were present, as in the time of the Acts of the Apostles through many, many people, but only a small sliver of them become known to the public. It's this strange mystery. You know, even in the Acts of the Apostles, we know there were 12 apostles, and Paul was one untimely born, but we only hear narratives about, like, five of them. Like, where are the other seven? We know that they were laboring faithfully, but God didn't choose to bring them to the fore. Instead, he chose to bring the one untimely born, St. Paul, to the fore. And this is a part of the strange, mysterious economy of God, that he would bring some into sort of the limelight and others not. But the ones he brings into the limelight is to show the rest of his church some aspect of Christian obedience that we would all do well to follow, right? That's what St. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So there are the famous saints, but the greater majority of saints are not famous. And from everything we know about the heavenly economy, You know, Jesus was very clear, the least among you will be greatest. So I wonder if, you know, when we think of St. Paul and St. Peter, we sort of put them, we we kind of think still along the lines of James and John, you know, who's gonna be the greatest, and we kind of think of them like on the top shelf of the saints. But maybe they're just kind of in the middle with the sort of happy middling saints, and actually the the greatest saints in, in heaven will be the the unknown ones who had no fame, no accolade, no reward, no glory, no one remembering them in a litany, um, but who lived fully abandoned to Jesus Christ. I think it's gonna be a very happy and delightful surprise who's actually gonna be, I'm speaking very metaphorically right, but in the top shelf in heaven, because it will all be bliss and paradise in the love of God. But those who earned great reward by bringing such pleasure to the Father, Um, I think the ones at the very top will be the, some of the ones we never knew about who lived such hidden lives. Um, I've never read George Eliot's Middlemarch, but I love the last line of that book, which I have read. (laughs) When she says, um, she talks about uh, the protagonist and talks, she says that the uh, the growing good of the world uh, is mostly dependent on unhistoric acts, and that things are not quite so bad with you and me as they might have been is half owing to those who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Which I think is a very uh, poignant picture of the hidden the hidden life. As we heard from Sirach, it's one of the apocryphal books which we read for edification even though it's not of the same authority as scripture. That phrase, there are those who have no memorial. So considering um, the hidden saints this evening, who I think are a better guide for most of us, even though we don't know who they are, but to sort of not think about the saints as the great bishops and teachers and martyrs uh, who, that is not the station we're called to here in Opelika. Thankfully, it's not an era of martyrdom, right? Um, there's only so much we can sort of look at, sort of the life of, a, of the, some of the names in that litany, of a St. Lawrence or a St. Vincent, that we can say, yeah, I'll copy that, because he's living under persecution and died heroically for the faith. What does it look like here? Um, it looks like the lives of the hidden saints, who who leave behind these small traces, the people who knew them, sometimes fragments of writings kind of littered through the centuries, names which very few people have heard of, except maybe some church history professor somewhere, um, or in some church where there's still the memory of a beloved uh, departed, kept alive. Um, One of the things that characterizes the sanctity of the hidden saints is, I think probably the chief thing, is a resignation to the will of God. Not with a fatalism or sort of the severity of the false religion of Islam or this sort of, oh, well, it's all just fate. It's not like that. But trusting that God is a good father and is in control and, and accepting, therefore, what he permits not knowing why, wishing that it wasn't the case even, but, but accepting it. And one of the maxims, I, I'm sure I've said this from the pulpit before, but it's to me just a guiding light in this, sort of, in this vision is St. John Vianney said, uh, the saints never complain. The saints never complain. And I think that is sort of the kernel of truth that if we lean into, the Lord can reuse, as He's used in so many lives, to sanctify us more. Because when all the difficulties of life come our way, if we complain, which is the first human instinct for most of us, for me, for most of us, we lose, we push away out of the gate any chance for that difficulty for the Lord to use it for refining, for greater reliance on Him, for more endurance in the faith, for more courage to hope for what is not seen. Right? If, if bad things come, we just grumble, it doesn't get to be a part of our sanctification process. And The greater share of life is all the petty things which are complaint-worthy, right? And we miss a thousand, thousand chances, I think, in every year um, as they come by. But the great, hidden, small saints, who are perhaps the greatest in heaven, speak about every single contradiction and difficulty and physical ache and pain and uh, misery connected to someone that you love. Each one of those is another chance to more fully give yourself to the will of God and say, Lord, not, this is not my will, but if it's yours, thy will be done. And to, and to not grumble and not just shake the fist kind of at the ground or, you know, God forbid, up at heaven, right, but to, but to receive it. I think that's the catalyst in the lives of the hidden saints that the Lord used to turn ordinary circumstances, ordinary drudgeries, ordinary uh, aspects of our station of life into an incredible, refining furnace for the soul. That resignation to circumstance. I've already spoken about their thirst for reward. I think one of the aspects we miss in the Gospel is how clear Jesus is about, if you seek me, you'll be rewarded. If you labor in my name, you'll be rewarded. And if you run away from me, there will be punishments. Right? That's what we see in the history of God's people in the Old Testament. And the saints, especially the hidden ones, just took that really seriously, that there are infinite riches to be won in the small day-to-day battles with temptations, and temptation to complain, and all these things. That with each one, there's a reward to be gained, and that it will never be forgotten. It's not like God's like, oh, well, you know, He doesn't have a, a, a short-term memory problem. Every single moment of any day, of any day in your past life where you said, Lord, I need your help. I choose you in this moment. The Lord is still storing up a reward for you for that act. Out of His mercy, right? He's rewarding His own operations in our lives. But the reward is real nonetheless, and and to thirst for it. And I think in all these things... um, not complaining is how to deal with the bad. What they did with the good that came in life is they sought to honor God for it in all things. Um, I read this poem, I wish i had had it up here, but it's called, the, recently I read it, it's called The Elixir by George Herbert. Um, and he talks about, he's using the language of alchemy, of looking for some sort of chemical that will catalyze something into gold, right? That's the picture. And he says the elixir, the secret to the Christian life, and George Herbert was one of these Um, glowing saints of God, um, is the simple phrase, for thy sake, for thy sake. Which is really just echoing what the Scripture tells us, right? In everything you do, do all to the glory of God. But it's that phrase which can turn that idea into an action, and I've just tried to practice this for like four weeks only, because it's that phrase, something about it just caught me. But in anything we're doing, Even if it's just eating cereal, or in my case, like changing a baby diaper, or driving somewhere, or attending to someone, or listening to someone. Just in your heart to say, Lord, for thy sake, whether I'm enjoying it, and I'm giving God thanks for my enjoyment, or whether I'm not, and I want to make it a gift to Jesus to do for him, even if it's not something I want to do. To say, for thy sake, for thy sake. I'll preach this sermon for thy sake. I'll listen to this sermon for thy sake. I'll, I'll go be kind to my spouse or friends this evening, you know, for thy sake. And that that elixir, how it catalyzes ordinary life, a life which will not be famous um, for great, God's great inner purposes, the true sanctification and transformation of our hearts, of our minds, uh, ultimately of our bodies, right, when he raises us. Um, But this is what the stuff that hidden saints are made of. So I, I just encourage you this evening to, As we're about to give thanks to God, um, as always, for the work that He's done in Jesus Christ, but remembering kind of connected to that great work, the work He's done in the lives of His saints in this Eucharist, um, to put maybe recenter back into your field of vision that goal, that God does want you to become a saint. And it's actually really attainable because you have the Holy Spirit living within, and because nothing in life is too small that he can't use it for his sanctifying purposes. Amen.